0: We're in the middle of a series of seven messages on the values we hold as a church. And we just, as we were prayerfully getting ready for this, we thought, this is one of the things we want to come back to in the midst of a lot of uncertainty in our world. What are some of the foundational things? So week one, Pastor Aaron launched us with the Word of God. And we have a high view of scripture, always have in the history of this church, always will. Believe it's God's inerrant word, inspired by him, given to us as a precious gift. The next week I talked to you about prayer. The the week after that we talked about missions, that our God is a missions-minded God. And we had Matt and Connie with us, some of our IWs, and they talked to us about what God is doing on the other side of the world. And today, I want to talk to you about giving, an adventure that we get to go on with God. I was reading an article not too long ago called The Best Places to Get Rich in Canada. And the assumption in the article was, uh, this is the way that you will find long-lasting soul satisfaction. They didn't use those words, but this is what they were aiming towards. And guess which city they said you needed to move to to become a millionaire? You guessed it. Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And now, along with its deeply inviting name, apparently Moose Jaw is not a very expensive place to live. They have good labor stuff and other favorable conditions. Now, the problem is, of course, if you do make your millions, you still find yourself living in Moose Jaw. So, you know, and I actually, I made all that up. It's probably Calgary or something like that. It's just, I'm a Regina boy, so we make fun of Moose Jaw. But let's just say that you do make those millions, which, biblically, there's nothing wrong with making money. When you do it in a way that honors God, and you do it with integrity, that's actually commended in Scripture to make money and to work hard and all of those things. Nothing wrong with that but here's the bigger question. Is that really gonna provide you with lasting, long-lasting soil satisfaction? It's a ludicrous idea. It absolutely will not. Money in and of itself will not do it. So let's just say that you wanna aim higher. Where do you move to aim higher? Well, if that's your aim, it's certainly not a place, it's a person, and so if you have your Bible, Or your device, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, third book in the New Testament, the third historical, biographical account. We call them gospel of the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 16, and we're gonna read verses 1 to 15. And this is a parable that Jesus told one day. Luke chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be manager here any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager says, take your bill, sit down quickly, We got no time for chit-chat here, and make it four hundred. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then the key verse that this is all wrapped around, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. In verse 13, one more time, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so like I said, this is a parable that Jesus told about money and stuff like that. And of all of Jesus' parables, this is considered one of the most difficult ones to understand. Some people think it's the most difficult one to understand and properly, hermeneutically interpret. So here we go. So there's this wealthy guy, probably a venture capitalist in our lingo. He finds out that one of his managers has been wasting his money by the fistful. Maybe embezzling, maybe incompetent, maybe lazy, whatever, just doesn't say. And so the guy calls him in for some FaceTime, and he says, What's this I've been hearing about you? I've been checking the quarterlies, and it's not good. Now this manager is fast on his feet. And he says, well, I don't have the books with me, so I need some time to get them together. The guy says to him, no matter what, your history, you're done with our company. You can't be my manager anymore. Now go get the books, and we're going to do a forensic audit to see what's really going on. So the manager buys himself a little time, the dishonest manager. And before the news starts to get out on social media that he's been fired... He doesn't just drift along, hoping things will work out. He considers his alternate employment opportunities. He's going, I'm too old to dig. I don't want to dig no more. My back won't handle it. I, can't, I don't want to beg because I don't do groveling well. And he's thinking about it, and all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on because he is not a great guy. And he calls his men, and he gets his men to get all the creditors to come in that owe money to his master. And they are told to bring in their current invoices. And he says to them, take your bill, reduce this significantly, and with a few strokes of the pen or a few clicks of the keys, saves these guys big bucks. And he's thinking to himself, now these guys owe me big time, And when they've heard I've lost my job, I can call in some favors. And Jesus says, the master commends the dishonest servant because he's acted shrewdly. So you read this one, and like you, maybe I'm scratching my head a little bit going, you know, when you first read it, you're going, is Jesus somehow advocating dishonest business practices Well, we know that's absolutely not the case. We know this because of all the other Scripture. You never look at one Scripture in isolation, a proper way to interpret. You've got to look at all of it, because it all weighs together. It's all perfectly woven together. So we know that's not the case. We remember whenever you're interpreting a parable that the principle is it's, there's, primary, there's one primary big idea that everything points to. And the idea is, is to take this one big primary idea and apply it stringently and in a substantive way into your life. So this guy who has some time to think but has really bad motives and is thoroughly dishonest, But he does one thing right. He doesn't go into drift mode. He forms a concrete plan. And it's not just floating around in his head somewhere. He actually puts it into action and makes it happen. And so Jesus is saying, in my understanding, that when we get all fired up about something, people can become very determined. And very creative about how to address whatever the opportunity or the problem is in front of them. In fact, they might even move to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, if they have to. Jesus is saying, even people that are very far from God, like this dishonest manager, get really shrewd. And they formulate plans and creative, use their creativity and their imagination and their get up and go, and they actually execute them. And they take big risks. But sometimes, he says, we as children of the light, who know God, who have these incredible opportunities to use the things that have been entrusted to us by God, to make a difference that makes a difference for all eternity. Sometimes we become lazy, sometimes we become very passive, and sometimes we just drift along in life. And I'm going to guess that everybody in the room today and the people watching on the internet right now, um, deep in our heart, we want to be generous people. Deep in our part, we want to use the things that God has entrusted to us in a wise and in a prudent and in a generous way, in a way that makes a difference. I doubt there's very many people here or listening listening that are saying, I really want to be a slave to stuff in my life. <laughs> I really want to be focused really exclusively on the accumulation of money because, man, that's where it's at. You know, Deep in our heart. But there's a danger that I think he's suggesting here, that just because I simply feel compassionate or I think compassionate thoughts, that I can delude myself into thinking, I'm a generous person when I really haven't done anything concrete about it. Nobody just drifts into a life of compassion and a life of generosity, into a life that actually really makes a difference. Nobody just wakes up one day and discovers they accidentally accidentally defeated the monster, and it literally is a monster of more... And more and more, if I only had more, and just accidentally defeats that monster. Nobody drifts into asking a deeply important question: How much is enough? How much is enough? So if you're here today and you're just checking out God, and we always have people that are here that are just in search mode, man, I just encourage you to keep searching. Ask your questions, you know, is there really a God? You know, why did this happen? We'd love to go down that journey with you and have that discussion. But if you're here as a follower of Jesus, if you're someone who believes that the Bible is actually true, because it says in the scriptures that everything without exception was created by God and that everything we have is a gift from him. Our capacity to learn, our capacity to create, our capacity to earn, all of those things and the raw materials for it, all are a gift from him. That we've received grace solely because of what Christ did on the cross, not because of anything we've done. That you've been a church where you can be known and be loved, that you've been given spiritual gifts that when you use those spiritual gifts, you will know significance of an eternal value and you will have meaning and purpose in life because this is how God created you. He created you to serve. Then Jesus says, if those things are all true, get at least as an intentional and fired up as the guy in this story who's living his life in an incredibly shallow way to pile up a bunch of stuff that's going to be sold for 10 cents on the dollar at some garage sale a week
1: after he checks out. Don't listen to the stories of Scripture
0: and just say to yourself, yeah, I think that's right, and then do nothing about it. And deceive yourself into thinking, I'm a generous person because I have some warm and fuzzy thoughts. So I want to suggest a plan. And that's a plan I suggested to you, oh, probably a couple of times in the last 24 years. But it's a good plan. Um, not original with me. And, you know, if you, if you find a good financial counselor... They figured this good Christian financial counselor, they figured that out, this stuff out a long time ago. And actually, we have, we're blessed to have a number of those godly people like that in our congregation. And I understand what I'm about to suggest is not the only plan. But if, if you have a plan that serves God and, and really honors God and you and others better than what I'm about to say, well, then go for it. And it's really focused around... A, A personal approach. Okay, your personal approach. And I think it's one that's very consistent with scripture. It's very simple, very concrete. It's just the it's called the 101080 plan. And this is a great plan to use to go through life. It's a great plan to teach your kids. If you have little kids, teach your kids this plan. And one of the ways you can do it because it's a very visual illustration, is to use envelopes. Some people use envelopes to do this. I can't remember, we used them a little bit, but not all the time, as we were raising our kids and growing together as a couple. But the first envelope just says on it, give. And you see that on the screen behind me. And the idea behind this is this, and it's very biblical in the Old and the New Testament. Before you spend dime one, before you pay any taxes or any bill whatsoever. Scripture would say, as a launching point, you take 10% that's designated to God and his ministry. This taught in both the Old and the New Testament. Jesus, for example, in two different places, Jesus says this. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint your rue and all other kinds of garden herbs but you neglected justice and the love of god you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone in other words you know legalistically you're giving 10% of all your income off the top you're checking that box but you're not loving god and you're not living a life that honors him that honors justice cuz he's a just god You should be doing this latter thing, but don't neglect the first thing. And so you tithe, Jesus says to God, off the top, even down to something as small as the herbs you get out of your garden. In other words, the whole nine yards. It says in the book of Malachi chapter 3, well-known passage, it says, bring the whole tithe, and all through the Old Testament you see this as well, this concept of first fruits, Bring the whole tithe, it says, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for. See, God knows us because he created us. And he knows how we have a very strong temptation that some, in fact, many succumb to to let stuff get a hold on us. That's why he says, verses, verse 13, let me read it to you again. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And it's like God is, God is issuing a dare. He, he's saying, listen, giving is really not going to make... This kind of generous giving is not going to make much sense until you actually start doing it. You can test me in this. And see if you don't end up receiving blessings of many kinds. And my provision. And this is not some legalistic thing where you're checking some box tithing. So let, let's just say you give nothing, okay, which is the case for many Canadians, or virtually nothing. So you've never given a dime, but, so maybe you just want to jump right in at 10% right away, and you're going to find God honors that, absolutely. This is what you will find. Why spending Giving 10%, but if you've never given a dime, why don't you just do it this way? In the next six, you could do it this way. In the next six months, start at 3%, and then after three months, go to 6%, and you're going to see how God starts to reveal Himself in unique and cool ways. And then right up to 10 from there. And many of us in this room and listening, many of us could go well beyond that. This is when the adventure with God really kicks in, and it's really cool to go on this adventure. It's one of the reasons I love speaking on giving, because I know it's such an incredibly cool thing in the life of someone that follows Jesus. An incredible blessing to give this way. So the biblical model, all through Scripture, that God invites us to follow is just this concrete benchmark, this concrete launching point, is the idea of tithing, And then offerings. And we get to, when we do this, because it's not a legalistic thing, here's some of the cool things that we get to do. We get to say to God, in very concrete terms, I love you. Man, everything I have. You know those incredible songs we were just singing, talking about the grace of Jesus and how he's provided everything for us? Man, in concrete terms, I get to say, as I give, I love you. Secondly, I get to say, I trust you. This is a powerful thing. Not to just have this good thought in your head, but to actually do it. And thirdly, it allows us to be less selfish. Because basically everything in our culture, at least most of it, invites us to be very selfish people. This is a very good thing to do. Let me say to the followers of Jesus that are here today, especially those that are starting out financially. Maybe you're a student in university or in high school or in elementary school or you've just finished school or you're a young adult, you're single, you're married, whatever. You might be tempted to think, I don't have enough money to tithe right now. But later on in life, when I have more then I will start. This is a grand delusion. If only I had more, then I'll be generous. I believe scripture and a lot of life experience shows us that giving does not work that way. Absolutely not. And probably more important, verse 13, verse 13, God says, the human heart doesn't work that way. So when's the time to start this? The time to start this is today, if you haven't already. The best and the, the best thing to do, if you're a parent, is start this with your kids right from the get-go. Parents, we have a responsibility to teach them this right from the beginning. And, and then it just becomes this extremely wonderful, and it's really wonderful, natural, worshipful approach to the rest of life. Debbie, my wife, was taught this from the, when she was in diapers. If you got a quarter, a lot of money back then, 10% of that went to Jesus. When I came to Christ when I was just 11 years old, my parents were young parents in their early 30s who who'd never heard about stuff like this, but we were all changed by the living Christ. We began to tithe. And my parents taught me this from the earliest ages. And so it's just such a natural thing to us. We never give it a second thought, to tithe and well beyond. Because we've got the privilege of going on this grand adventure with God. And so when we give, it's a very joyful, our family, it's a very joyful act of worship. At first check, first 10 and beyond, goes to God, without question. Number two, second envelope, is to save. And this is, you know, even secular financial people will say this, take another 10% or so and put it in the save category and pay yourself. Now, they'll say pay yourself first. That's absolutely not what Scripture teaches. Scripture will always teach you to give to God first, without question. But then it also would, we would encourage you to save for yourself. And so in the second envelope, you put in, and again, if you've never saved a dime, I encourage you, today's the day to start. But maybe you want to start at 3% and then go to 6% and then go to 10% or so in the next six months. And have in mind these two projects, both long-term and short-term projects, and say, you know what, I know in X number of years I'm going to need a different vehicle. I'm going to start saving for that now so I can pay cash for it when the day comes. And I'm going to start saving for the days when, when I won't be working full-time, when I'm maybe sort of not retired from life, but retired from full-time ministry. And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about this. It'll say in Proverbs, for example, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And can I add a little thing on there? The even more foolish man spends more than he gets. And a lot of people in our world live that way. So if you're, you're doing this with your kids, then uh, take that third envelope. And if you're using this on the third envelope, the 80% envelope, it should say presents for mom and dad. Now, actually, this is the category where I'm just free to manage it together with God in a way that brings great joy and delight to God and to my life and to those around me. And I use it to pay like my bills, my taxes, my bills, to make sure I pay my credit card in full. I'll say this oftentimes to people in premarital counseling. I'll say this to them. Hey, do you want to come up to me in 10 years and you're so happy with what I'm about to say that you're going to kiss me on the cheek? And they look at me and I said, here's the, here's the thing. Decide in the next year or so if you have credit card debt Or whatever, one or two years, whatever it takes, that you're gonna pay your credit card debt off in full. It's like at 20% interest or some crazy amount. And then every month, without exception, you pay that credit card bill in full. And in 10 years, you are gonna be so, you're gonna be going, wow, where'd all this money come from? You're gonna be so happy, you're gonna wanna come and kiss me on the cheek.
1: And you'll be able to address needs
0: and even wants in your life. And it will mean that when you spend, when you you have this kind of approach, you don't need to feel guilty in any way about spending wisely. Jesus, it says in the book of Matthew that Jesus says that God is like a father who loves to give good gifts to his children when they take And they take joy in them. And so you're going to be able to go out and buy clothes that you love to wear and you can afford, which makes them really sweet. When you can afford it, wow, that makes it really sweet. Or you can buy food that you love to eat. And you know when it'll taste even better? When you can afford it. God loves to go on that kind of adventure with you. Or you can go on a trip or whatever, but you've saved the money to go on that trip and you can just chill back and enjoy. And you get to part at this point then, you get to partner with God on asking an incredibly great question that a lot of people in our world never ask.
1: How much is enough for me? How many people ask that question?
0: He miss out on so much of life if they never ask that question. God, is there a ceiling you want to put on my lifestyle so that if I make more, I can decide ahead of time under your direction that when I hit that ceiling, that will even increase my capacity to give? Wow, that's a sweet moment.
1: I'm going to be really shrewd about this.
0: So I just encourage you to give liberally. In our own church, you're going to find there's a ton of joy that attracts, attaches to that. So when you look at the envelope, there's the general fund that pays for the ministries here at UDAC, uh, turns the lights on, all those kinds of things. We talked last week about missions, and so that says global advance on your envelope. So it, it. It fuels the spreading of the gospel and disciple-making all around the world. Many times in places we will never hear about until we're in heaven because it's too dangerous to talk about it in public. And so they're in what we call creative access locations around the world. And more and more and more of our IWs are going to those places where we can't use their name in public because it's too dangerous. The new ventures thing on the envelope, that goes for evangelistic new types of things here in Canada for the building. We have a a small debt uh, that we're going to be paying off in not too terribly long on our facility. You know, the giving in this church, I never cease to be amazed by it. Um, It's incredible in this church. And it's an incredible place to be a pastor. And we thank you for your incredible sacrificial giving. You know, it says in the book of Luke, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When you give sacrificially, you give joyfully and liberally, you put yourself in the stream of what I would call abundant life. Now, that doesn't mean in some weird roundabout way that you're going to end up, you know, selfishly getting more stuff. That's not what I'm talking about there. It means, listen to me carefully here, it means that authentic, God-honoring givers step into the kind of life that takers and hoarders will never experience. Don't
1: miss this. When
0: you give like this, you begin to receive something that takers and hoarders will never get. And you go on a grand adventure with Holy God. You know, in the fall, we did our most recent Over the Horizon offering, which is something we do twice a year, a special offering. Every third time we take it, we give it totally away. So we did one of those in... uh, uh, October or November, one of those two things. And we said, with these funds, we're going to take about 50% of them and use them for, for ministries outside of UDAC to, to partner with, and then about 50% with, with individuals and meet individual needs. And, and so we've been using these funds to partner and bless people, and we've been prayerfully, we haven't spent it all, but we've spent a chunk of it, prayerfully investing in people, so some of the things we've done with it, let me just mention, this is so cool to be able to do this as a church, we have invested with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, that serves directly with students on the university campus, we have Herson who's a local missionary that many of you know that you have gone and served with on short-term trips down in Costa Rica. Um, He has been used by God, he and his family, to transform communities down there. Person of incredible faith. And a little while ago, he was unloading, he was on a five-ton truck, he was unloading food because they take food to hurting people in all the surrounding communities. And he fell off the truck, and he was in agony. They thought he'd broken his hip. And he was in debilitating pain, couldn't really move around in pain all the time. No resources to deal with it. They found out eventually he hadn't broken his hip, but he was in a ton of pain. And the doctor said, you need to do some therapy, and uh, the best way to do this would be to be on, like, a a bike. Well, he had no money for stuff like that. He's too busy giving it away. (laughs) And he never asked for help, but we heard about this. And so we were able to use the money that you gave to help this missionary with this bike. And he
1: just sent us a text. Yesterday. Sent us this picture yesterday. Saying,
0: thank you so much. So he touches communities all around him. See, when you give, God does things. We've been able to partner with people in our own congregation extensively. We've been able to partner with people in our community. Um, Just two weeks ago, we bought $600 worth of hamburger for families through the school district in connection with our Food for Learning program. And we will do more. What do you get when you give? You get something in return that you will never have if you don't. You get to go on this adventure of a lifetime with God. And you need to understand that His economy is very different than the world's. And so, blessing has all kinds of different nuances to it. It's not just, you know, you give this and you're going to get... It doesn't work like that. So some of the things that you're going to find, most typically, some of the blessings you'll find is you'll find yourself more alive to the kingdom of God than perhaps you've ever been. You'll find yourself, and this is a great gift, less self-absorbed. Less focused on yourself despite all the other voices to say, think about me, 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 me. You'll be less prone to be depressed. You'll be more capable of empathy when you give generously and with liberality. You'll have a decreased sense of loneliness, especially when you get to the end of your life. You'll be scratching your head going, I don't know how this works because I give this away And I'm wise with my money, and yet I'm still able to meet all our needs and, in fact, some of our wants. I don't know how God did this. I don't know how he arranged it.
1: At the end of your life,
0: when you're looking back at your life, you won't be looking at a pile of stuff that, like I said, that's going to get sold in some garage sale for 5 or 10 cents on the dollar. You're going to look back on a pile of fabulous memories of people whose, God, whose lives God used you to touch and change because you used your stuff in Jesus' name. One of the high values of University Drive Alliance Church
1: is giving.